Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, Brave Parents. Welcome back, Kelly and Chelsea, here today to talk about worldview. Now, granted, we talk about worldview all the time, but because this is the foundation of how we view and interpret everything in the world around us, we thought we could do a better job at defining what a biblical worldview is and, frankly, what other worldviews presently dominate thought and behavior and culture. Generally, we know that a biblical worldview is interpreting everything based on the Word of God and Scripture, but there is much more depth we'd like to get to today. Yeah. Here's the skinny. We just learned that only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview based on a recent Barna study, which I just need to insert like the emoji with like his head blowing off the top of it because I would have never figured 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. So we think this is going to be helpful for our listeners to define our terms, but also to help them identify if they even have a biblical worldview. And if not, what worldview are you operating under? And is it even possible to change your worldview? And if so... How does it happen? Absolutely. And we have an amazing guest on the show with us today. We know that you're going to love him and the insight and wisdom he has to offer. So without further ado, Logan Talamas, welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Great. So Logan, go ahead and just tell everybody who you are and what you do. Yeah. So uh, my name is Logan. I'm the family ministries pastor at a church called Curry Creek here in Bernie. Uh, I've been married for seven years to my wife, Caitlin, uh, who's a, a nurse midwife, nurse practitioner at a hospital here in San Antonio. And uh, we've got three kids from five to uh, one years old. And so, yeah, so I, I work at the church, get to be a pastor there. And uh, obviously the, the family aspect of it is is huge as well. And so thankful for your podcast and the ministry that y'all do. Wow, awesome. And you are currently in school right now? Yeah, so I uh, am working on a Master's of Divinity at Southern Seminary, so got about uh, just a few classes to finish that up, but awesome, it's been good. Yeah, that's great. So Logan, you interact with parents, kids, teens on a regular basis. You see firsthand the difference between families who operate with a biblical worldview and those who function with some sort of blend between secularism and religion, whatever that looks like. Recently, you completed an entire worldview series for the youth at your church. So let's just get into this. Let's talk about worldview. How would you explain in general what a worldview is? Do we all have one, you know, whether we know it or not? And how do we know what our worldview is? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. So we, everybody certainly has a worldview. And whether you're aware of it or not, we all have uh, a worldview. And so simply, it's, it really can be thought of as the way that you view the world. More explicitly, a worldview, every worldview really tries to answer four basic questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? What has gone wrong with the world? Is there any hope? And where is history headed? So those four questions are really what make up our worldview. Within that, there's there's lots of application of that worldview, right? And so uh, when we think through how that actually plays out, that really plays out in this in the way that we view all things around us. It, it plays out in the way we view ethics, what's right and wrong. It plays out in where our hope is found and what the goal of life is. So a lot of, a lot of times people think about these questions as, you know, beginning with why is, why is there something rather than nothing, talking about the question of origins, right? 
how did we get here? You look around from the time that you're even just a, a young child and you see a world around you. And we have to answer the question, where did all of this come from? Why is this here? Uh, how am I here? And, and who am I, right? But then also answering the question of what's gone wrong with the world. I think just about everybody agrees the world that we live in is, is not the way it should be. So what's happened to lead us to that point? Why, is, why are things the way that they are? And then is there any hope for the world? Is there any hope that we can, that things can change? And ultimately, where is history headed? So even as you just begin to ask those questions, you can see the stark difference between, I think, what the culture says and what the Bible says. From a biblical perspective, the biblical meta narrative really moves in these four movements, right, of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And those four movements answer those four questions. Creation answers the question of, of why is there something rather than nothing? We were created by God. We, we have obligations to a creator. The fall uh, in Genesis 3 answers the question of what's wrong with the world. We, we're fallen human beings. We're sinful, and, and our relationship with God is broken. Because of the fall, our relationship with one another is broken. And the hope is found in redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, where history is headed is the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that God is working even now. And so, but the secular worldview <clears throat> is completely different. We, we answer, why is there something rather than nothing with things like evolution and, you know, random impersonal plus time plus chance. It just happened. What's gone wrong with the world? That one's a, a tough one for the secularists to answer. And hope, if, if, if there is hope, it may be found in us. It may be found in it's, it's difficult to even define that one as well, right? But ultimately, when we think even about where is history headed, a lot of times from a secular perspective, it's, well, one day the world's going to blow up. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and when it happens, it happens. But yeah. that's the, that's the in, you know, in telos of, of where the world is going. Wow. That was like an awesome answer. I just want to sit and listen like all day, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Logan, I mentioned earlier that only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview and Gen Z is like... I don't it almost non-existent. So how is it that so many young people, even adults, have come into a secular worldview? Like what's happening or what has happened? Yeah, it's a good question too. I think it's it's really ultimately just a subtle drift, right? If we believe the Bible and, and we operate out of a biblical worldview, we believe that we're all fallen. And so uh, apart from God uh, revealing himself to us and revealing the truth to us, we're going to interpret things wrongly, you know? Um, and so there's just a subtle drift where if we don't spend time with God, if we don't listen to the word of God, then we're going to put the pieces together in, in some way. Uh, this is, again, comes back to, yes, every person has a worldview. You have to look at the information, the data around you and put that puzzle together somehow. So if you're not going to do it based on what God has said in his word, then you're going to just interpret those facts however you can. Uh, and so that drift happens over time. And, you know, I think a lot of people bemoan uh, where we've gone as a culture over the last few few decades or century. Um, and certainly our culture has shifted away from a at least nominal biblical worldview to a large degree. But at the same time, you know, the, it, it wasn't perfect a few decades ago either. Really, the only answer for why People will have why millennials have only a two percent worldview is because we're not reading our Bibles, right? And parents aren't are, aren't instructing our children in the Word of God as we ought to. 
there's obviously been a drift out of churches and things like that. And even churches, you can, you can find some churches where you really have to ask mm-hmm. the question, do yeah. they actually have a biblical worldview? I actually just saw a statistic this morning in an advertisement for a biblical worldview conference that said that less than 20% of church, Christian church attendance has a biblical worldview. Wow. Less than 20% of the people going to church. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's a, that's a failure of what the church is supposed right. to, be, to right. be doing. So, so I think, of course, Chelsea and I always go back to Romans 1. You know, uh, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So, of course, our brains always go to how much has media and technology changed the knowledge that we're getting? And even though we may have known about God and we may have understood God's moral right and wrong, but do you think that media and technology is playing a huge role? part of bringing people into this secular worldview, taking away their understanding of moral right and wrong? A hundred percent. And that's one thing we have to recognize as, as parents for ourselves and for our children. Not, if everybody has a worldview, uh, everybody is always teaching a worldview in some ways, mm-hmm. by the way we live, by the, by the things we say. And so any, anything you're consuming, whether that's media, technologies, TV shows, advertisements, uh, you, we're always being taught a way to view the world, a way to put the pieces together. Uh, when you're listening to athletes or celebrities speak on something or give an interview, even there, we're we're taking in all this information about how we should view the world. So if we're not again getting that from the Bible, it's very natural for it to be shaped by the culture around us. Uh, we call our student ministry upstream because we really want to be s- swimming against the stream of of culture that is uh, obviously. It's, it's drifting us in a certain direction that ultimately is away from, uh, away from God and the truth of God. So, Logan, do you think it's possible to reteach or relearn a biblical worldview? I mean, is it even possible for parents, mentors, pastors, Christian leaders, right, to change and shape a teen's worldview? I mean, what's our role and responsibility in that? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that teens are, are particularly difficult, but absolutely anybody at any stage of life can change their worldview. And ultimately, again, for us as Christians, our, our worldview, if it truly is shaped by the Bible, then we believe in the redemptive power of God. That comes back to that question, is there any hope? Part of the problem, part of what's wrong with the universe is not only that we act wrong, but that we, we think wrong, right? We, we don't see things the way we ought. And if we did truly see God, for if we had a perfect worldview, we, we actually wouldn't sin, right? If we really viewed God the way we ought to and viewed ourselves the way we ought to and the, and the people in the world around us the way that God does, then we wouldn't, I don't think we would sin. But the problem is we, we don't view things that way. And so the hope comes in in Christ that A, our sins can be forgiven, but B, he can give us new birth and, and he can give us the Holy Spirit who, who lives within us and gives us this new birth where we we really begin to see things the way that we ought and we have a biblical perspective. Obviously, that's developed over time, but there's nobody who's out of bounds for, for changing that. How much in your work do you see teenagers with a biblical worldview? Yeah, I, I'm thankful to get to see it often, but it is, you know, percentage-wise, I think the students I work with, I would like to think that more of them 
have a biblical worldview than say 2%, but they're also already a small slice of the pie, the, the ones who come and are committed to, to church. But it's also something that I will say just on that last question again, I have seen change. I've seen students, there's, there's one student I think of in particular, I won't mention his name, but uh, he was a complete knucklehead for the first several years that I was at the church and just just absolutely, he was one of those problem students, to be honest. And yet now his his whole attitude and view of, of God has completely changed. And so, yeah, there are plenty of students out there who are thinking through things with a biblical lens, but they are, they are hands down in the minority and they face real challenges in their schools. And what does their family situation look like? Are they getting this biblical worldview just because God's election on them, they have the Holy Spirit, yeah. and this is just you know, God's plan for them to be a, a force of change for b- biblical good? Or is it their parents? I mean, have you had yeah. an interaction with the parents? Like, can you pinpoint, is it something the parents are doing that enable these kids to, to live through, live life through this biblical lens? Of course. Yeah, there are definitely exceptions, but by and large, it is far more likely that these students are going to end up with a biblical worldview if their parents are teaching them that and modeling it for them, even if that doesn't happen right away, right? And I think that's something that parent ne- parents need to hear. It it may not be that your student walks through those teen years with a biblical worldview. It, that switch may still be pretty sudden for them. It may not be, but there is a clear correlation between parents raising their kids in the faith and the likelihood that in the end that that child at some point develops a biblical worldview. I think a lot of us, so for me, you know, being Gen X, Chelsea, you're a little bit younger than me. Logan, you're a little bit younger than Chelsea. (laughs) I think, though, like for us, it's easy to say, well, we weren't raised with a biblical worldview necessarily. Like I personally was raised Catholic, you know, but I came to that by the age of 25. Chelsea, similarly. Um, I came to the Lord. He saved me uh, when I was pregnant with my first kid. And it's like a biblical, a worldview didn't matter until it did matter, until I was entrusted with someone else to care for. Mm. And I realized because I grew up in a home that was very dysfunctional and very abusive, that even the people we love can hurt us. And so I was, it was a holy fear of God um, that he used through a spirit to soften my heart. Um, yeah, because it didn't matter until it does matter. And I find that a lot with parents is Christianity didn't matter. God didn't matter. Jesus didn't matter until they had kids. But for us, we weren't influenced by media and technology. We didn't have that bombardment. Oh, I, well, I mean, I was a latchkey kid. So I was watching, I was watching, you know, MTV's whatever, Total Reality Live and the countdown and like pop-up music videos. Like I have a, take me to trivia one night, Kelly, and I will make you some, a weird amount of money on like the pop culture that I have memorized. That's funny. So, so yeah, I think that, I think a lot of parents like our age look at it and say, well, I don't really have to do that work. Mm -hmm. You know, that God will just do it. You know, they'll just get there. They'll be saved if they're going to be saved and they'll get that. But I think that that's a misconception, especially now. I think that media and technology is so powerful that yeah. we may not gain our kids back if we're not doing that work of instilling, planting those seeds of, of what the Bible says and how to view the world Absolutely, from the lens of Scripture. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's, again, it's, there's, there's two forces, right? We want to, there's the positive side and the negative side where we want to be reinforcing positively a biblical worldview by teaching our children our children, the Bible, but there is also a responsibility as parents that we have to limit 
the the negative teaching that that comes into them we cannot eliminate it but how can we limit what they are hearing and absorbing and then when in the areas where we can't where we can't eliminate that how can we help them process right. those things you know I, I was watching i was sitting in the room with my daughter hazel who's 5 yesterday or 2 days ago and there was a point in the show that she was watching where this character was forgiving one of the characters wanted to forgive a character on the show and the other one didn't want to forgive this character because he had really harmed the family and things like that. And they ended up kind of making a compromise where they punished him a little bit. And I just asked Hazel, there wasn't anything really inherently wrong with it, but it was clear that it was not, they weren't thinking through this through a biblical lens. They were just, what's right to me and what's wrong to me? And I just asked Hazel, what do you think of the decision that they made? And she gave an answer and we talked through it a little bit. And But it's it's those kind of conversations that you can have where you just help your children process through, is what this person's saying right according to God's word? And is what they're doing the, the correct thing that they should? Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that we always talk and teach parents is co-viewing and having those conversations. Mm-hmm. You just can't hand a tablet over for entertainment or pacification purposes. Mm-hmm and not be co-viewing to see what it is that they're taking in. What worldview or ideology is being being taught in whatever cartoon it is they find or YouTube video, and who knows what that next you know <laughs> autoplay video is going to be. So co-viewing uh, media and entertainment, that is such a huge thing. So let me transition a little bit. Logan, let's talk about therapeutic moralistic deism. This is a big fancy word. <laughs> And you taught it to your youth group, your high school students. Um, so what is it? What do parents need to know about this? Why is it so attractive? Uh, uh, it's, a big, it's a big deal these days. And so uh, most people refer to it as, as moralistic therapeutic deism. And what it's, um, you can really break down each of those three words to understand it. And so deism is a, a pretty old concept. Deism as a belief about God was big, especially in the 19th century. Uh, early 19th century, and it's really the idea of God almost as a as a watchmaker, right? So he, if you think about someone who makes a watch, and then I'm wearing a watch on my wrist right now, and and whoever made this watch is no longer involved in the life of this watch, right? They just made it, and and then it goes, it clicks away, and it does what it's supposed to do, and that's kind of what a deist says God is like. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a famous deist. There are, there are many others, but they believe that God just created the world and then sits back and is not really actively involved in the world, uh, at least not much. Moralistic therapeutic deism in particular, the moralism side of it is basically the idea that God wants us to be good or that we should be good people, right? We should be moral. And then the therapeutic side of it is really this idea that uh, our life should be about us being happy, right? So God can at times maybe enter in to help me out and my religion of moralistic therapeutic deism or whatever it is, is therapeutic for me. It helps me in some way. And so it's a very self-centered religion. Uh, Now, most people who operate out of this worldview don't go around telling people, this is is what I hold to, right? But it's a way of categorizing what is characteristic of much of our culture today, that basically what we believe is a lot of people in our culture today are smart enough to look at the evidence in Romans 1 that you pointed out and, and say, the evidence of nature around us points to the fact that there's a creator, but he's distant. I don't, he's not really all that involved in my life, and he doesn't particularly care what choices I make on a day-to-day basis or what I do with my life. As long as I'm, in general, trying to be a good person, 
then God's good with me and he wants me to be happy, right? So that's a different way of putting together those four questions. It's the same in that we have a creator for the question one, but really what's wrong with the world can be fixed as long as I'm a good person. And the end goal of life is not new creation, redemption, restoration, and our fellowship with God. The end goal of life is me be happy and do what I want. Oh, I have so much to say. So we just did a a Worldview Wednesday where we talked about millennial parents now have uh, the highest goal for their children, and you're a millennial parent, Mm -hmm. the highest goal for their children is happiness Mm. over education, Mm. over success. They're not going to try and raise the next Jeff Bezos. They just want their children to be happy. Yeah. So they're operating under this worldview. It makes you realize, too, that really the Christians are the only ones who are saying, hey, biblical worldview. Everyone else is just saying fancy, soft words like happiness and be, I'm just a good person, right? right? I'm not murdering anybody, right? So that makes right. me good. No one else is defining the worldview other than us who are saying, hey, yeah. the Bible is it. I, I found too, Logan, and I, I don't know if this is true of your experience as well as when I talk to people about um, faith, the argument never begins when we're talking about God. Almost everyone I talk to would say, yeah, God exists. It's when we get to Jesus that mm. the whole argument or the whole conversation turns, it's kind of like the atmosphere turns and it's like, you're telling me that I have to believe in someone who died for my sins. I'm a bad person. Are you kidding me? Like, that's where the whole crux of the argument rests is on the the kingship and the savior, Jesus Christ. Have you found this to be true as well? Yes, that's a great point. That's the that's the offense of the gospel right there, right? That's a great point. So for teenagers, they're getting probably a lot of this subtle worldview being taught on social media, TikTok. I think TikTok, especially, you know, this idea of being happy, of being a good person. There's also a lot of other worldviews, uh, if you call them worldviews, but I would say even just sects of, of religion or worship, if you will. Um, there's lots of Wicca, getting into the whole witchcraft thing. You can get people, you know, there's a lot of Mormonism. There's a lot of people all promoting different worldviews. And I think just pointing back to the fact that how important it is as parents who even have kids on this to be able to counter. You may not even know what it is that you're seeing on those algorithms mm-hmm. and what those subtle messages are. But kids do believe they just need to be happy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. Logan, what do you think, like for the parents who unknowingly have allowed a ton of the world's influence into their kids' lives, and now they're just in very much stark contrast to a biblical worldview, is there any hope for those parents? And if there is, what advice would you give to a parent who has watched their child just deconstruct their faith or their worldview? I mean, is there still space to teach? How do we help them? What what do we do with that? Absolutely. So I think for particularly for those who are walking with students or children through a a deconstruction process, as is often talked about now, I think the best thing that we can do is to a degree enter enter into that with them and understand that it's, I I don't want to point anyone in that direction to go and deconstruct, that you need to go deconstruct your faith. But if somebody is going in in that direction already, they're going to continue to go down that route most likely. And it may not be that they, they really had a very serious faith to begin with, right? So if you can go down that path a little bit with them and help them not throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, uh, help them process through their life experiences. 
if they have church hurt, if they have some of that, help them just process through that, but process through it in a biblical worldview, right? Because you can you can do that uh, without abandoning a biblical worldview. So if they need to do a little bit of deconstruction of their past experiences, you can enter into that with them without just telling them to completely shut that off, but try and help them rebuild it from the from the ground up. And I think with that, you know, it doesn't mean compromising, but parents just reaffirming your your love for your children through all that is huge and trying to give them positive biblical instruction continually along the way because again, if they're if they're deconstructing something, uh, the best thing we can then do is is that positive reinforcement from there. Okay, let's we're we're deconstructing, we're we're down to the bones of this thing, but let's build it back up now and let's try and maybe make some corrections along the way as to where where we we were not accurate in in the where your mind was not building things correctly in the first place. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I know I have out of my seven, um, I have, you know, a couple that have kind of walked away and just really question what it is that they believe. It, do do they believe what we believe still? They don't really know and and it's so important to just keep walking alongside them and you know, ask them, can I pray for you? And just, mm-hmm. you know, they're always willing to let me pray for them, <laughs> you know, and then offering, you know, the biblical wisdom, the advice giving that you can for adult children. That's really, you know, that for, for some of us who have adult children, it's hard because you're no longer parenting. Essentially, right. you're just giving advice, but it's still, when it's still in that biblical worldview, they may act like they kind of resent it. But again, in their, in their, their soul, knows God the creator. That's right. They can deny it. They can be given over to some of their fleshly desires, worldly desires, but ultimately it's just that constant subtle put reminding them, I'm not going to compromise. And and I think what's really unfortunate that I've seen on occasion is when parents to a degree go the opposite way and they say, Okay, my I you know, I just love my child so much that I am in a compromise, right? And I'm going to go there with them and I'm just, I want to preserve my relationship with my child. So I'm going to uh, just, just say whatever they need me to say. The problem with that is you are, I mean, you're putting the death knell in that worldview right there because what you're showing your child is that you don't really believe what you say you believe. Otherwise, how could you love your child and, and, and say what you're saying, right? So what that's doing for them is it's validating that everything that they previously were taught is false because even you, their parent, don't really believe it. Ultimately, <laughs> at the end of the day, if you hold your ground where you where you need to and continue to affirm your love for your child, your child is not, at the end of the day, really going to believe that that you just hate them. They're going to see the conviction and the fact that what you're t- teaching them about the world is a true conviction of your heart and and truly what you believe. And that's going to make them question, is all this real? Is what my parents have taught me actually the truth? And they'll see your love through that, through all of that anyways. But That's an awesome point. That's a great point. I think what you're saying, Logan, it's, it's bringing two thoughts to my mind. The first one is the um, in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope un, un, unswervingly. Like, mm-hmm. And I for parents, that's so important. But the other thing that I've learned um, as a counselor is that every session I have, and I, I literally, because my kids are going into the teenage, I call these like talks with my kids sessions now with my husband. Yeah, I was in session with our oldest today. Every counseling session, um, we are taught to give hope. And that's part of our biblical worldview because there is such great hope in the midst of 
adversity, in the midst of trial, in the midst of not understanding. I mean, look at the Psalms of Lament, Psalm 42. The psalmist says, where the, you know, the adversaries taunt him and say, where is your God? And he laments that and he, he talks about it. Like there's a great depth of humanity in the Psalms, but there's a great hope that, that is greater and bigger than our adversity and our lament. Um, and that's part of our biblical worldview. So for parents, look at hope. I mean, search through it for the Bible, find all of the hope you possibly can, memorize it, stick it in your back pocket and use it for all of those like sessions that you have with your teenager. That's a great point. And you're also in that, you know, you're not just teaching them the possibility of hope, but you have to understand we're, we're all fallen too, right? And it's easy as a parent to go into a situation where your child is, you know, maybe quote unquote going, going off the rails or something. And for us to be frustrated or, or all kinds of different emotions. But if we remind ourselves of the hope that we have and the hope that our children have before we go into those moments, that can change our own, our heart and our tone in those conversations, not just what we say. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so Logan, we have one last question. A little bonus that's not here in the script, but I'm just curious because Chelsea, Chelsea and I talk about this a lot. And I think my opinion and our thoughts about this kind of change on the daily, maybe moving more, more towards this, um, sending your kids to public school. Can you have, can your kids maintain a biblical worldview in a K through 12 public school system. Do you think it's possible still? Yeah, I would say absolutely it is It is possible. The, I think the biggest factor is not where they go to school. The biggest factor is, is the parents. I will say at a particularly, at a young age especially, one of the dangers we have to be aware of is just that, especially in those elementary school years, our kids are going to basically believe anything that their teachers say. So if that is your, if that's your, you know, only option or the option that you feel uh, the Lord leading you to do, to to step into, then I would just encourage you to be as aware and involved as you can in that school system to try and help your child process through those things. Um, I, it is possible, but our teachers and schools and education in general is certainly a major factor in what's developing our worldview. So whatever our decision is, whether that's whether our decision is to homeschool, private Christian school, public school, we need to be aware of what teaching is taking place and how we can supplement that as much as we can with a biblical worldview. Which again, I think I think for a parent, and there's a lot to that to that question of school. Uh, I don't want to make a hard and fast rule on it, but I do think as parents, the first question we have to ask because we're we're quick to jump to some of those questions. I think the first question we have to ask is, hey, mom and dad, are you reading your Bible? Are you actively engaged in God's word? Is the Bible shaping your worldview so that you can then teach that to your kids? Are you reading God's word with your with your children, even at a young age? And even just going back to, I mean, again, you mentioned all these different influences that come into our children's lives, whether it's media, whether it's teachers at school. But uh, I mean, I even think about children's Bibles. Look at the children's Bible you're reading with your kid as a, as a young kid, because some of those, yeah. some of those are much better than others. And so, just asking ourselves first, do I am I reinforcing a biblical worldview in in me as a parent by by actively engaging in God's word, and then feeding that to my children as well? Am I 
even just the stories of Scripture, right, beyond just the didactic teaching of Scripture, one of the great things about the Bible is that it has both didactic teaching and narrative, right? And those stories, whether we're, whether we're five years old or a hundred years old, are powerful ways that our worldview is formed and shaped, that we begin to understand not just what we believe about those four questions, but how that is applied to our life, how that shapes the way that we live. So I think that's, that's really where it starts. And then every parent has to, has to pray through and weigh the decisions of what are our options in terms of school and how can we do the best with the options that we have. I think it's a good point because there's not a guarantee if you send your child to a Christian school, mm-hmm. if you're not reinforcing that biblical worldview at home, in fact, if you're doing the opposite or you're allowing them a copious amount of time on social media, YouTube, that type of thing, that could completely counteract what they're learning That's right. at the Christian school. So mm-hmm. it is, it still comes down to so much of the parents, mm-hmm. not to put all the pressure on us. <laughs> we already feel like we have tons yeah. of pressure, but ultimately this should be as Christ-following parents raising and discipling our kids, this should be the priority. Mm-hmm. This should be the priority over piano lessons, over baseball, over, over any other extracurricular, over any you know, high academic achievement. Teaching the Bible, having a biblical worldview should be the number one priority. That's right. So, Chelsea, you got anything else to add? I think there's, I think it was a, I think Harvard just put out a long-term research study on the importance of relationships. Oh, the lo- yeah. Yeah, we've the referred Colson to that a couple Center. of times. Yeah, just covered it. And that relationships are still the biggest force for change in a person's life. And I think what Logan said is really fantastic. Like, it's not about where the child goes, but it really depends on their relationship with their parents. And it would be interesting in the next few years if someone does any research or study on it to see the the folks that have deconstructed their faith, what their relationship was like with their parents um, mm-hmm. as they grew up you know, did, did that relationship factor into their deconstruction? Because like Logan is saying, when they're little, those are the formative years where we're supposed to be pouring into our kids, um, biblical truths that will shape their lives, especially through formative teen years. Absolutely. All right. Well, Logan, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I know I enjoyed it. I learned a lot, uh, Chelsea, you as well. So Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Make sure that you share this podcast if you found it helpful so other people can also glean some benefit from that. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate that to help other people find the podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. And until next week, go and be brave. <laughs>